people do get an affinity with their machine. I've got a customer that makes traditional English bows. They've named all of their machines after characters from Robin Hood. Welcome to the NTD Podcast. I'm Giovanni Albanese, hosting today's show, a passionate engineer and a proud member of the NTD team. Today we are at the home of a Curie Bertelli and we've got a real treat for you. Now these, this company uh, restores pre-war Aston Martins and we're going to find out exactly how they do this and look at the heritage and the history of the company and I'm joined by two very special guests. Firstly, the Managing Director of Acuri Bertelli, Robert Blakemore. Welcome to the podcast, Thank Robert. you very much. Thank you. Thank you for, for having MTD and opening the doors to MTD today. Um, and secondly, you know, the second or third time now on the MTD <laughs> podcast, James Leet from Ass Automation UK. Welcome again to the podcast. James. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me again. No, thank you. It's been an absolute fantastic day. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I've learned so much about this business today. But what I'd love first, Robert, is one, for our audience to learn about your business. But first, tell our audience a little bit about you and how you, you how you become mm. the managing director of sure. this fantastic business. Yeah, so um, I grew up very fortunately with uh, these sort of cars, very much part of uh, family life. So my father bought one when I was about eight or nine years old, um, and he he bought some more, uh, sold them, and bought them and raced them. So I grew up with uh, at least one of these in the family garage, and I used to come here as a teenager and see the cars being restored, and uh, and then went racing and drove them around Europe uh, with my father, um, and uh, eventually graduated to racing them myself. Um, uh, whilst that was going on, I, I went to Exeter and did a degree in uh, economics, and then I became an airline pilot and uh, flew for 15 years. Uh, when the opportunity arose to come and work here, then it's one of those life decisions you think, well, if I don't come and do it, I will spend the rest of my life thinking, what would it have been like? So it was one of those uh, decisions where I, I would have felt horrible for the rest of my life if I hadn't at least given it a go so that was seven years ago and um, thoroughly enjoyed it uh, ever since then well, so. congratulations on, a fan, on a, an absolutely fantastic business can you tell our audience how far do these um, Aston Martins date back I mean you know pre-war what, what kind of dates are we talking Sure. So Aston Martin was founded in 1913, but it took a little while before it made its uh, first car. So the oldest one in existence was the third prototype. Um, so we've actually just finished uh, rebuilding the transmission and engine. That's actually 100 years old this year. So it was built in 1921. So obviously the First World War interrupted uh, most of the production so although they were designed pre-first world war they didn't really build any they built the two before the first world war but the third prototype was built after the war um, so from that period uh, the company was owned by Bamford and Martin um, they eventually went bust in about 1926 and then a, an Italian Bertelli took over and that's where we get our name from and Bert Bertelli is really responsible for the majority of pre-war cars, the design and, and so on. And um, 
So his era stretches, or certainly of influence, from about 1926 to 1939. Wow. I mean, what, what, an, what an history and um, heritage there. And, and for people that are listening to this podcast, please Google um, Akuri Bertelli to look at how, how these cars look if you haven't already seen them. Absolutely beautiful cars. Now, James, you know, can you tell our audience a little bit about, you know, your business really and the relationship um, that you guys have got yeah sure um we uh we were introduced to akira batelli a few years ago now probably three years ago and um um there was evidentially a need for cnc equipment to come in to just uh really look at um some of the components that were being made on conventional machines they wanted to take things a little bit further with regard to repeatability accuracy for the longevity of components because uh, our understanding was that um, all of these cars classically by their very nature were very individual so having to um, produce individual parts it, it, it was evident that things the process could be improved by the look of cnc that was the early conversation but then very quickly we started to build a relationship started to look at um, how we could make the transition from a manual machine shop to a cnc machine shop and uh, that's where we are today actually two years on from putting our first cnc machine in here um we've we've seen some some evidential improvements and and actually more importantly, a way forward in the future as well to take the business uh, into decades ahead. Uh, you know, we're very, very conscious that um, we've got a big responsibility to to bring our brand into such an iconic uh, brand of Aston Martin. And and as you mentioned, Gio, these cars are beautiful. Uh, so it's really quite nice to to be involved with. Our brand that's quite new, quite modern, very CNC, you wouldn't naturally associate it with traditional old engineering, but actually uh, we, we found a real fit and we work very well together, I think. I, I certainly would definitely echo what you said and what really strikes me from my visit um, on top of the cars is with it being such a family uh, run business, I mean, we've sat now in, in, in the main operating office um, with Robert's family, your, your daughter, Pippa, and your son, Archie, um, and the dog, Chief. Um, and, and also, all of your employees were sat outside all having lunch together. Um, you know, it, it, it's such a lovely, tight-knit uh, business. And we had the pleasure to go into your manufacturing facility and met with Simon, one of your guys that is not only manufacturing parts, but racing the cars, restoring the cars, and kind of literally doing everything that you could possibly um, imagine within the business, really, apart from accounting, possibly. I don't know. Um, but we, we, we were looking at some of the parts that are getting manufactured, and you've still got all of the original drawings that date back to 1931, or, or I really found that quite quite fascinating really and that you're still working to these drawings can you explain to our audience you know what goes into restoring one of these cars and and the manufacturing of these components and how these components are assembled and 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 how they kind of are, are put together sure so um you kind of talked about a couple of processes so restoration is is one element but manufacturing parts is, is a different and sort of 
it sits alongside restoration. Um, so, so the process of if we were to restore a car, we, we obviously bring it in in whatever state it is, and then it gets absolutely stripped to every last nut and bolt. Um, any defects are taken out, straightened, cleaned, painted, and then it's rebuilt. Um, we're that's where the drawings and the parts come into that process. So because we have uh, somewhere over 2,000 original drawings, we don't have to try and work out how the cars should be. We, we've got the drawings to work from, and the parts we make are dimensionally correct as they would have been made when the, the cars were new. Um, and, and the process really is to, to replace as little as possible um, at, but bring the cars up to the same standard as they would have been when they left the factory or, in some cases, slightly better. What kind of skill ne- skill levels, you know, do you need to accomplish this? Well, all, all of the guys in the workshop are multi-skilled, so they have to be able to run a restoration in terms of planning. They have to be able to do some basic painting, uh, they have to be able to manufacture some components themselves. They have to be able to do wiring, woodwork, um, fabrication, uh, and just planning of, of, of how it all goes together. So they're very skilled people. Um, so you yeah. don't ask for a lot, really, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh, James mentioned the machine tool. It's something that you've introduced into your business. Mm. Um, what difference has this made to the manufacturing of componentry? Well, the, the things that we're really looking for are, are, are a few different elements. So accuracy, um, if uh, and when we get to the stage where the majority of the parts are made in CNC, then they will fit together much more easily. So we're looking for that to reduce assembly time um, through increased accuracy. Uh, and that's not just uh, within a job, but over time, so that parts become more interchangeable. Um, speed of manufacture is the other big thing that w- that we're after. So we, the first part we made, um, it was about ten times quicker than doing it on a manual machine. So being able to run through batches much faster is is really useful. Absolutely. Now, uh, James, you know, two iconic brands. You know, you've obviously got the Formula One team, has form Formula One team, working with. A client um, such as a Curie Bertelli, or and and forming this relationship partnership. One, how important is it to you as a business? But two, kind of, can you talk our audience through the process? How do you kind of select the right product for the application, and how do you grow the relationship moving forward? Well, that that last piece is is critical to us. I mean, we we as a business are positioned towards the the SME. So um, I've I've said before on podcasts about um, Britain certainly being a nation of subcontractors, generally speaking. Yeah, there's some big engineering brands out there, um, but the majority of engineering workshops in the UK are subcontractors or SME specialists, as in this case here. So one of the things that Haas are very good at um, is making a machine that's fit for purpose that is built on an economy of scale manufacture so that we can look after that machine with common parts almost the polar opposite of actually restoring a bespoke Aston Martin from 1926 um, we're actually looking to get as many common parts as possible to make that uh, long-term um, uh, 
restoration in this case process, the, the long-term maintenance of the machine, much easier. So actually selecting the right machine is hugely important, and that, that's based on relationships. So all of our sales force are predominantly time-served engineers that have come through our service or applications department first. They've installed machines, they've done training on machines, they're then taught how to sell the machines. And that's really quite nice because then they don't overpromise. They ask the right questions about getting the right machine tool for the job. In, in this particular case, it was about a transition from manual machining to CNC machining. And we needed a machine that was financially within reach to do that. We didn't need to go straight into five axis, quarter of a million pound investments. It, it would make the whole project unviable. So the question process starts to be then, what, what components are you making? To what extent, what accuracy levels do you need? What, what materials, what scope? All, all of these questions start to come out and we, we then identify the right machine. But it's not just about the machine, it's then about what support are you going to need? This is your first CNC. What levels of training? What skill levels have you already got in place? What support are you going to need after the machine's actually in place? Um, and that's that's really, really important. And, and yes, it's absolutely worked here, but as a business model, we deal with over two and a half thousand customers in the UK, all of which have their own specific need. And we're quite passionate about trying to get that right in every case, which is an impossible feat because you can't possibly get everything right in every case. And that, But that's what we strive to do. Um, and the reason I mentioned it's an impossible case is we're, we're always all ears. If we can improve, then please, 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 let's do it. But we can't do that without relationships. So coming back to your point, the ability to build a relationship at, at not just senior level, but all levels throughout the business is crucial because in, in fair winds, everything's great. It, it's when things need attention, you need a relationship. So that's that's the basis that, that we got together. Some really good points there, uh, James, and, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, we spoke to Simon on the shop floor earlier and, and he, he can't praise um, like the machine tool enough and the transition kind of was quite flawless for him in regards to making components on the manual machines which in my opinion is the best place you could possibly learn and um, to progressing onto the cnc and programming on the cnc as a business how has this the transition kind of benefited you um and you know is this the start of a new relationship that's going to move into the far into the future um so the the process is one really of every time we, we pick a new part to, to make, then there is uh, investment that we have to make in terms of time, manufacturing jigs, um, making sure that the programs work and so on. So we are still very much in the phase of investing in terms of improving or transitioning, um, which is expected and, and that's fine. So we're up to somewhere around 2,000 individual components. So it's, it's clearly going to take us some time before we, we have transitioned. Um, and we are very small batch manufacturing. So uh, typically sort of 20 units at a time. Um, it's worked well in that as we're progressing each time we make a part, that investment is available for us when we have to remake and we've done that a few times now we've gone back to something we've made before uh, and and that's really satisfying to be able to just go to the archive and 
and very quickly and easily make a make a part again. So that's that's been really really useful, um, and uh, and we expect that to be a growing um, benefit to the business. Um, but we're looking forward to uh, improving that relationship. So although we've got a mill at the moment, there are things that we will need a lathe to do. So that is will be our next uh, investment. For me, I'm 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 looking at this, and and I can really see the benefits. And um, but we were talking earlier, Robert, and we you know we we touched upon restoration, manufacturing, and racing. Mm. For people that may not be familiar with this business, it's not a case of just restoration restoring cars that are sat in a garage mm. and looking pretty. These cars are being taken to a racetrack, and they're being pushed to their limits. Sure. And subsequently, parts um, will need replacing can you kind of tell our audience the kind of costs of car of the cars that we're talking um because this really kind of highlights what we're talking about in this podcast i think it is quite you know and the fact that you're racing them and pushing them to the limits and some of the kind of applications that you're using the or that your clients are using the cars for yeah so uh aston was all about competition so they they really uh, prioritized racing and and rallying over everything else in period um, and the result are cars that are very capable indeed um, you have to remember at the time these were being made there were no race transporters or anything like that so they were driven to and from events uh, and they were designed to be very reliable and very comfortable and very usable um, the majority of cars that we look after on a regular basis are used in some form of competition. So predominantly there's there's rallying, which is either uh, UK-based, and that tends to be quite hardcore, almost off-road navigation exercises, uh, and European, which tends to be faster, better road surfaces, and more about precision timing. Uh, and then racetracks. So we race uh, places like uh, Le Mans, uh, Silverstone, um, uh, we go to Spa and places like that. So that that's sort of more, well, it's obviously not F1 speed, but it's the same concept as F1 racing. Uh, and the Astons were very successful in periods. So just after the war, uh, they won Grand Prix. Um, in fact, we look after the only two uh, Astons to win a Grand Prix. Um, this is not F1, but it's the predecessor to the F1 series. Um, they were... Uh, ran very well at Le Mans, so in 1935 came third overall, and you've got to remember that's only a one and a half litre car um, with average speeds of over 75 miles an hour in 1935. Um, so the cars were in period pushed very hard um, through improved manufacturing of parts. We can push them even harder. For, as an example, uh, rev limits in period were five and a half thousand RPM. We can now get to seven thousand RPM. Um, so a significant improvement. Uh, and our, yeah, the majority of our customers go in either race or rally and, and use their cars pretty hard. And how many cars are there left in, in the world? You don't, you're not just selling these cars to UK customers, I no, presume? No, we have a global business. So uh, we deal with customers in, in as far away as Japan and Argentina, North America, all around Europe. Um, as far as 
uh, as the accuracy of numbers is concerned, were pretty good. There was a smudge of error, but around 681 cars were built, around 450 remain. That number slowly drifting up as as cars come back into existence. Um, we've got a note of every single chassis that was ever built, so we tend to know where they are, even if they're a, a bit derelict at the moment. Um, and that is a tiny number. So at the moment, it accounts for less th- or around half of 1% of all Aston Martins ever built. So they, these are super rare cars. Um, yeah, and we pretty much know everyone. I love that. <laughs> cars coming back into existence. <laughs> I love that. Um, Presumably that's found in the back of a garage or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was only two weeks ago that I, I, or three weeks ago, I got a call from somebody who who invited me to come and see a car and it's it's just that it's in the back of a shed with a bunch of other cars that are pretty much derelict uh, the chassis and front and rear axles are there the bodywork is somewhat falling over um but yeah that, there's enough to, to oh, bring oh, that back to i life. was talking to james prior to the podcast and we were talking about you know i bet that every single one of these cars has got a story to tell. And we were also mentioning as well, in regards to the machine tools, you know, your machine tools have obviously got a story to tell, James. Well, they, well, they have, yeah. And, and um, it was interesting. I was, I was talking to Robert earlier about the whole origin of the name, VF1, very first one. And um, it, it is a little bit romantic, actually, if you're into machines. It's, uh, you know, that that very first one actually still works. It's it's in the showroom in California, the, the VF1, serial number 001, um, works. Uh, we, we did a similar thing over here, actually. We, we found the first, or it was certainly one of the first five VFOs, as they'd then become, the v, VF1s, um, that were sold into Leicester. Uh, and we, we managed to get that out it, it, they were actually manufactured in in plastic believe it or not so the the guarding was all heavy duty plastic um, and that still works to this day as well so that's got its own story behind it and um many have you know we i've got a customer that that makes um bows traditional english bows and um They've named all of their machines after characters from Robin Hood. You know, people do get an affinity with their machine. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's nothing like the the age of the heritage of, of these classic pre-war Aston Martins. But actually, these machines do have a story. And that story often starts with with exactly this you know just a conversation around what kind of machine do you want and then what do you want it to be in a few years time um and like all good stories if you get it off to a great start then it's usually um a story that repeats itself so that process of a good installation and good training and 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 good backup and service is is crucial to the plot of the story absolutely and i and i i love this story really i mean it's sort of like mtd is an engineering platform you know we try to be as educational as we possibly can and i think that we mentioned robert as well about architecture and looking at the cars you know dating back um to, to the 1930s the engineering that goes into them cars when they didn't have the technology that is available today for me they're like pieces of art mm. um, and how they're made or were made 
to them tolerances back then is ju- it's just testament to you know British manufacturing. W- would you agree? Absolutely. And the thing that I find quite astonishing because we spend quite a lot of time looking at the drawings is that that very skilled people sat down with nothing more than uh, pen, paper, slide rules and drew every component to make a car and it works it's <laughs> astonishing so all we have to do is is to copy what they did but to to be able to think in three dimensions and then draw in two dimensions sufficiently well to to make a car is proper engineers st- astonishing yeah, <laughs> yeah, no proper cats, en- no nothing like that so it's i mean draw, yeah. everything was done on the drawing board i, I like I've seen some of the, the original drawings and, and it's just it's lovely to see even the kind of projection of the drawings is different to, to how they are today. It was in inches, mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> uh, not, 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 not metric. And, and kind of the, the tolerances that they were working to were still quite tight, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and they took great care over building them. So each engine was built, dynoed, stripped, rebuilt before going into a car the skill levels were so Brilliant. high i mean there's a lot of fettling that, that mm-hmm. went on i mean that we've been quite educated today in, in, in regards to, to to some of the processes back then and it's quite nice in a way i mean now with the formula one in industry the formula one cars are, uh, are never finished really you're always looking to mm. improve them race on race I suppose with the restoration of these cars it's completely different because you've got a drawing <laughs> and you're just replicating that part albeit you are evolving them to a certain degree because is sure. it correct you kind of maybe changing materials to give them better longevity or to make them lighter? Yeah, we we do from time to time change materials. I mean, some materials they used are just not available anymore, or they have modern equivalents. Um, we also sometimes subtly change designs to put a radius in where perhaps there should have been one but wasn't. Uh, so a few little things like that, and we also offer upgrades, so geometry changes in in valve gear um we produce gearboxes to allow you to run on a distributor rather than a magneto but we're very careful to make sure we continue to offer the original components and that any modifications are reversible but yes we do provide a series of upgrades to make the cars go better and more reliable and for people you know we're, unfortunately we're nearly coming to the end of this podcast i can talk about this for a, a, a lot more <laughs> um but 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 for you, Robert, for people that may have been unaware of, of this business and your product, you know, what would your, be your biggest message to, to, to get out there, really? Well, A, that Aston Martin made cars as early as this, but also that they are super usable and um, a lot of fun. So we had a last year, a customer drove all the way from Belfast to Mantover in northern Italy, which is about one and a half thousand miles. He completed a thousand kilometre rally, drove it back here, we serviced it, and then it was off racing the following weekend so and then but you can go to the shops and go to the pub in the same car so they are quick they're reliable they are safe and you can have such a lot of fun uh, in many different and, and can ways. people come and visit you at this facility yes, to look at the cars yeah yeah, yeah definitely Brilliant. definitely yeah, we like love seeing people here and um and showing them around and introducing them to the cars and what we do well i've loved it today it's been great and and question for you really james there's there's still hundreds of engineering shops i would guess in the uk that are still just using manual machine tools which is nothing wrong with that but say for example they were looking to make that that sort of take that leap of faith into cnc for whatever reason now what would be your advice to them and and how should they get in touch and, and you know what kind of processes should they go through well first of all they can visit our website of course has.co.uk um i stress 
H-A-A-S, Hass, rather than the uh, H-A-S-S. That's a very different website. Um, you can contact us there. You can have a look and have a browse around. Um, there's loads of stories. There's loads of videos. Hass are great at giving information away. So there's an awful lot of information that you can glean from the internet. But as I mentioned before, just contact us. Our local guys, they're all engineers. They're all super friendly, down to earth. And we'll be very honest with you. If it's, if it's not something that we can do, we'll say so um, because the last thing we want to do is to recommend something that's not fit for purpose the whole point of the business when Gene Haas set this up in the 80s was a fit for purpose machine tool that's honestly priced for the market uh, and that ethos carries through to this day one last question James mm-hmm. you know you, you've obviously got these products that, that, that are perfect for making the transition from manual mm-hmm. um, to CNC but once you've you've actually got into CNC, what would the journey be after that? Well, it's it's quite simple with Haas actually because the control is the same. So we've always done this right from the very word go that the layout on a Haas control is the same today as it was thirty years ago. Obviously, the the software behind it is is much more advanced. However, if you've ever worked on a Haas machine of any denomination, lathe, mill, horizontal, five axis, whatever, um, old, new, the buttons are in the same place. So actually, once you've got your head around CNC and work holding and modern machining methods, modern speeds and feeds away from the conventional methodology, the transition to the next level is quite simple because the control's the same. And it's it's then something that you can grow into rather than grow out of. There are some pitfalls with moving from conventional to CNC. Um, sometimes you can get that uh, semi-transition. So you've got a, a, a manual CNC hybrid almost. And you can get your head around it, but then you've grown out of it very quickly. Um, and then you have to select yet another brand to take it further. Uh, the nice thing about Haas is that that transition's there and there's plenty of range to go once you've made it. Thanks, James. And, and in regards to evol- evolution and evolving even further at this business, can you see yourselves in the future investing in fifth axis machine tools, for example? Yeah, absolutely. There, there are still things that we can't do. Um, cylinder blocks, for example. So, yeah, th- th- there is, as we continue the transition, scope for expanding what we do and I think that will be a, a continual part of the business and can I ask one last favour really then yeah. Robert if if and when that happens can MTDCNC come back and report sure. on this absolutely very well <laughs> brilliant well, guys thank you very much for your time today it's been brilliant I've thoroughly enjoyed my day's visit there are going to be videos on the MTDCNC platform from the, the visit today so please stay tuned to the MTD platforms and watch the videos um, on YouTube or from the MTD website guys again thank you very much it's been absolutely fantastic until next week the MTD podcast thanks for listening to the MTD podcast if you found value in this episode please subscribe and leave a rating and review find more episodes on mtdcnc.com